This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the magnificent return of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Thank you for not shooting me in the head. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 301, titled Laws of Nature, is brought to you by the re-election campaign of President Matthew Ellis. He may have installed the Advanced Threat Containment Unit, but at least you haven't seen him since Iron Man 3. <laughs> uh, well done, Pete. And before we jump in, the briefest of bits of show news. Here we are, Pete, about to crack open the first episode of the third season. And let's all take a deep breath, release, relax. TV by the numbers predicts it is a sure bet that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. made for ABC by ABC TV Studios with a Marvel DC or Marvel Disney property, etc. Oh, you said that other. I did. Sorry. With a Marvel. It's all it's it being all Disney, as we've said before, TV by the numbers predicted even before this episode aired, let alone um, ratings data came out. Sure thing for a renewal for the fourth season. So, Pete. Let's start our second chunk of 44 episodes right now. Time to catch you up on what went down in this episode. Our tease act, which had been released a couple days ago online, uh, shows a photo of a man in front of a motorcycle. Uh, rather an effective little piece of uh, catch-up, if we could, as far as some exposition some big elements from the previous season there is a uh, bottle of fish oil there are charred uh, body parts almost like they've been molted out of Uh, there are melty parts of his apartment and there are explosions uh, on the skyline we see through a rather sizable hole in this man's apartment um he doesn't know what's happening to him a similar story to what we've seen when uh other inhumans have come across the uh the terrigen mists and he is quickly cornered by a team that uh initially we might think this is shield trying to uh see who he is and what's going on instead this team is authorized to use lethal force if necessary by a mysterious woman over the walkie-talkie. We know that is not our shield. He retreats down a uh, an alleyway, and then soldiers are f- thrown left and right with uh, wavy beams. Uh, Daisy shows up there with her her new gloves, along with Mac and Hunter, and uh, she finds out this man's name is Joey. They quickly throw him in their new Wonka Vader that takes him up to a new, bigger bus. Indeed, Pete. Fantastic opening. High action. Great way to really jump on in. Uh, They save some of the kind of um, repetition of, uh, you know, some of the story points from last season for a bit later in the episode. And uh, just a, a crazy, wonderful, inspired touch there to do, Pete, what some people on the Twitter are calling... Uh, the Shield TARDIS. I don't watch 
your Doctor Strange show, Matt, okay? I live in America. I watch American. Either way, uh, it certainly was a neat way to introduce the fact that now he's going up, up, up. And I'm sure whether, well, the first time people saw this, whether it was for the episode or when the, when this scene was introduced uh, on uh, online, it's kind of this question, well, where is it going? Because we know, of course, the bus is destroyed. Uh, surely there's not a new bus. But then... I think we needed a bigger bus. Uh, the... Craft, which was not name-checked in this episode, but spoiler Pete will give you the non-spoiler. It is called Zephyr One. Ooh. But uh, the mysterious woman pulls up to this defeated team, uh, rolls open the window and talks with her number two and tells him he better get things under control. For heaven's sake, Matt, there were helicopters this time. Not knowing that there is a giant helicopter plane thing several miles above them that just received the Wonkavator. And uh, Coulson plays paparazzi. Luckily for us, this scene zips along at such speed that it never occurs to us to say, don't most major cities have, you know, like radar and stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, commercial for the airports or military related or whatever. And I'm I'm not really taking the show to task here. It really does zip along to the point that we get that this is their grand reveal of Bus 2.0. And that overcomes kind of the vague logic of, well, they should be able to be sensed somewhere. And shouldn't somebody be scrambling jets to intercept? No, it's just too darn awesome. As we start our first act, Matt, uh, Joey is revealed to uh, be wondering if these people did this, turned him inhuman. Uh, And uh, Daisy explains quickly this was a biomorphic event that he will survive. He wants to know if there's a cure, though. And as somebody who knows all too well what it's like to be inhuman, she explains that he's going to have to learn to live with it but that his life just got more interesting. This is where they put most of the uh, most of the exposition, which yes. you know is necessary. Um, if the last time you watched the show was was May, and you kind of haven't thought of it since, I don't know how necessary it is, but certainly the show must do the service to newer audience members to bring them up to speed. Um, I mean, you know, there's the super clear. Uh, explanation immediately of the biomorphic containment box. Then we get the exposition explaining the new bus, how there's new powers. There's the new mission to go get those people that were calling in humans new movie in what? Five years, four years. Um, and it's I, to me, it works. It's not kind of the best, smoothest, hiddenest, if that's a word, uh, exposition that, that, we, that you've ever seen. But it certainly works here. I mean, there's nothing more classic than, hey, new person, proxy for the audience, let me tell you the things that need to be told to the audience. It works. It absolutely works. And that he's being told the things and asked the things that will help people catch up, you know, did you take vitamins every day? Did you take fish oil? Oh, not every day. And then, 
you know, uh, Daisy and Coulson have this scene. This is a third incident now within a certain time frame. Uh, Coulson loves his new toy and there's this black ops group. So we very clearly delineate them being different. We've seen them five times. Yeah, it's right into the slingshot, Matt. It sure is, and as is so often the case, almost more with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than than certainly the other Marvel shows, and with most shows in general, we just keep on moving. Uh, with that, we cut to what will become known as the ACTU, which is not the perhaps the easiest thing to roll off the tongue, but uh, there's reference to the uh, the metamorphoses are yeah. becoming less rare, which is kind of this this wonderful, you know, are they walkers? Are they biters? Are they are are they geeks? What are we going to call them? <laughs> well, the ACTU calls this stuff metamorphosis, or metamorphosis rather, because right. words is importance. And there's a room of about five to six bodies, one with a rather sizable hole in it. But we learn from uh, Mystery Woman later identifying herself, one of her aliases as Rosalind, that. Um, she does not like that one of them got away. Act two and Zephyr one lands. We see Bobby still on the mend there in a lab coat. And she talks to Joey and puts him to ease. Uh, knows a lot about him that he put off his uh, yearly checkup. That he had a boyfriend. And uh, that she admits to getting all this from the pre-crash Facebook page, Matt. Indeed. Pete, it's the 21st century. It's just okay to accept that these things happen. People Pete, people still use Facebook. It's, it's not as – it doesn't have the stigma, okay, that, that, it, that it used to. And it's okay that Joey used Facebook. He lives in a world where it should be okay to use Facebook. And, and I'm okay with it. You're okay with it. And I hope our audience is okay with it. Matt, um, we have a Facebook page. I know you don't go on it, but uh, yeah. Listen, just because I don't practice the Facebook lifestyle doesn't mean that I support everyone's right to be on there and to be facing the books and whatever it is that you do. Um, Please update your info about Zumba class right away. (laughs) Uh, but Bobby tells Joey, uh, in a scene with entirely too many people who have the E at the end of their name, that, uh, there's been no reported fatalities from his incident that, uh, he is safe there. And we segue to Colson, Hunter and Mac having a discussion in his playground office there, uh, an ax very visible on the back wall of Colson's office, but that Hydra is not at play here, that their money has been static, uh, that this woman is not Hydra, that she's been going by different aliases, something that Hunter approves of. I like, um, I like that, that, that they're really making a point to spell out the, the inaction of Hydra here. Uh, I admit just because of some of the press release stuff, which even, you know, spoiler free me had read. Um, I was certainly aware that this wasn't, you know, a Hydra joint uh, or at least wasn't going to be purported as such in the, in the, in, in this episode. But I just like that they're kind of um, 
you know, separating this territory out really clearly for the audience to say, yeah, we know we ended with, you know, Hydra's Hydra's open for business again. We ended the season with that, but that's not where we're going now. You know what we ended the season two with as well, Matt, was Coulson uh, lost his left hand and the axe wasn't enough. He takes his left hand off again in this scene and he now has a Luke Skywalker hand. And I wondered, here's what I had, here's what went through my mind in that moment. We're going for a go-go gadget, at least opportunity. You know, they kind of, they kind of, you know, schluffed it off as, you know, later on in the episode, I think as, you know, oh, I keep, I keep going through hands. Or maybe it's just, you know, it's a little more comfortable to not wear the synthetic one. But Pete, the day is going to come where there's going to be uh, uh, an all-purpose key in one finger <laughs> and and a magnifying glass in another. And you just wait. Like, this is, this, this is calling to the writers to be like, now let's go for the red hand. I don't even know what the red hand does. <laughs> a telephoto lens, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe. You never know, Pete. It's all never possible. Know. Okay. But just as hard to get used to as a removable bionic hand is calling Sky Daisy. Yes, and that is your uh, Austin Powers 2 moment where you know they're going. And everybody at home, you should get used to calling her Daisy too because that's what we're doing. Right, but between the exposition that we need that Joey can liquefy metal at up to three meters um, and finding out that there is from Daisy talking to Joey, a small percentage of the population with this dormant alien gene that he's part alien. Welcome to the club. We call ourselves inhumans that uh, his world has changed forever, that he can't go back uh, the caveat in the foreseeable future, which we all know he ain't going back. And we'll explore, of course, through the character of Lincoln later in the episode. But through the TV, we uh, get caught up on current events. Um, was never directly referenced in this episode, but it has been three months since the previous episode. So real time, if you will. Um, and Daisy explains that the world is a little twitchy since Sokovia fell out of the sky. It's funny how the name checks to um, to other parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that used to be so incredibly titillating. And like, look, they said the thing. Now it's just kind of like, yes, this show has earned a place to be riffing off those things. If not, you know, if not directly affected by it or direct players in it. Um, it's just part of that Marvel world. It really has, has kind of, uh, solidified, you know, say in the past year, um, what I like too in this scene is they also solidify this notion that Sky and Mac are work partners. And I'm certainly not trying to, you know, suggest there's more than that, but just that they kind of are the, they're kind of the go team. Yes, kind of Hunter in the equation a bit. Um, but that, you know, the two of them are partners. Great pairing. I don't know. I mean, obviously they shared screen time in the last season, but. I just feel like Sky with all her, you know, superpowers and Mac with this with his mental powers and his physical brawn, um, great, great pairing there. Well, having experienced the Cree Temple and what he went through there, I think he was a natural choice to pair up with her. That he's 
he knows potentially what they're going through. But uh, it's here that he exercises the brawn and he's going to uh, restrain Joey. And of course, he can't do that because of Joey's uh, powers. And uh, <clears throat> Daisy fires off what Bobby refers to a moment later as a warning shot. And Coulson has to question whether or not it was the monolith. But we get again the catch up there. No one's gone near that you know, since Simmons and that Fitz has sent probes into that quote unquote realm. So we know that it's a place um, and that uh, there are maybe likely is other sea life contaminated other than the fish currents at work and everything like that. But that Fitz um, had asked permission to go to shield archive and uh, his whereabouts currently kind of being glossed over because that's not really where he is. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, parts of this scene playing a bit of uh, a bit of catch up. I-, I dare say maybe in retrospect, it's not the most natural transition where, you know, you have superpower earthquake girl um, and the and she's interrogating somebody who's incredibly powerful in the in Joey. Um, so of course, in the building rocks, that's an opportunity to talk about the thing we haven't talked about since May. Um, but it's it's a you know tidy bit of narrative nonetheless. Since May, since Agent Melinda May, not today, but I meant the month of May. But Pete, may we move on to Act Three? We may, if without May. Act three and Fitz in Tangier, Morocco gets out of the car there, but uh, true to his character's archetype, the cabbie warns him not to go alone, but uh, he goes down an alley with a briefcase. He runs into two thugs, tells him he wants to see Yusef. And in his terrible Arabic, he says that he would like to arrange a meeting with the man named in charge. <laughs> though Fitz is presented as a little bumbly and obviously we know we're headed to scenes where he's a bit less so there still is an edge here that Ian DeCacaster, uh brings to the character where there's just something in the performance where the writing tells us oh watch out guy as you go there you're out of place here in Morocco and the thugs are clearly dismissive of him um They've cast thugs that are, you know, broader shouldered and taller than he is and all that. But there still is that, you know, there's a continuity in his performance that starts here and that's going to build, build, build in these scenes. We flip back to the playground and Bobby helping us understand the mission he may be on talking to Mac about how the process of digging helps Fitz cope. We know, of course, Mac is sympathetic to Fitz ever since his second season really end first season struggles with the damage he suffered underwater in the the bus box with Simmons but uh that she's shooting at a uh a lucite brick there trying to figure out uh, a new weapon and something about DARPA Matt is unearthed yeah it's a lot of you know it's mysterious government high-tech 
you know, stuff, and it's it's the gun that has a palm scanner, and it's hydrogen-cooled who's what's I'm sure uh, our pal Mike Sorensen could have given us a rundown on the guns uh, or the gun aspects, what was fiction, what was not. But clearly this is, you know, not quite gun of the future, but it's the gun of, you know, the gun of, uh, you know, government agency uh, teenage fantasies, if you will. And that it's not really a bombshell that Hunter is not talking to Bobby but of course she knows why. And uh, Mac is worried. Mac plays a good everyman. He says the team is falling apart as it is. Which in retrospect, I don't know that that holds up a hundred percent. I mean, we can talk when we get to the Bobby Hunter scene uh, later, certainly. Um, so maybe we'll stick a pin in that or, or put a bag over it, Pete. Oh, we could. And then with Yousef there, we can take the bag off. They're trying to open his briefcase. But uh, Fitz wants to do an exchange. He knows that um, the monolith was at one point uh, in the Yucatan. He's traced it. He's trying to understand it. He's tracked some artifacts to these guys. We never truly get... uh, you know, uh, affiliation, not like this is, uh, is, is, or whatever other, uh, <clears throat> terrorist group, but, uh, his extremist buddies from Iraq. So he issues the ultimatum that he can, uh, Yusuf can spill Fitz's guts in the sand or they can make a deal. You know what? A couple extra points to the show here for, Saying that we have these kind of shady gentlemen who I suspect in the estimation of the story happen to be Arab. They are not shady because they are Arab and they know bad people that are connected to these extremists, uh, you know, real world extremists that we, you know, the type of which we recognize and whatnot. But it's not like, oh, who has the mysterious bad monolith stuff? It, of course, is going to be the terrorist groups from our real world. It's. Maybe these are black marketeers. Maybe they're selling, you know, it, it belongs in the museum. You know, they're selling, they're <laughs> selling that kind of that stuff. That they're 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 not great guys, but they're not, you know, the bad people that we have in our real world. So thumbs up there again. If you're going to go to the trouble to cast Arab actors and have this setting and whatnot, they're kind of not going for the lowest common denominator story wise. And the very real world thread that there are artifacts being destroyed in parts of the world where there is strife today. Uh, An unfortunate reality. But uh, having uh, made this overture, Fitz opens up his case and there are splinter bombs. Again, a little bit of ketchup, the same used in an attack last season. Also the same that killed Sunil Bakshi. And uh, Yusuf said, you know, this woman, you must love her. Only love makes a man so stupid. (laughs) The story is perhaps stretching a bit there to remind us that Fitz loves Simmons. Um, Because, I mean, you could just do it for somebody that you care a great deal for. It doesn't need to be kind of, you know, love. But, um, again, the story's got to do what the story's got to do. They're competing with, you know marvel on demand stuff in the form of the netflix shows um so you gotta you gotta give people a little nudge who haven't you know thought about the show since uh since the spring 
But these are not really splinter bombs. They are instead flash bombs. They go off. Fitz absconds with the scroll. And we cut in there after that to uh, see what's going on with Daisy and uh, Joey, who is apparently going nuts in his solitude. Just to jump back to Fitz for a second, I like that the 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 flash bomb thing is not so powerful that like oh he's closed his eyes and therefore he doesn't get hypnotized to sleep like it's it's just a big bright flash thing and he still is on the run and i love that he steals the the hired car away from the driver who's you know who's <laughs> grabbing a drink or whatever it's just again it shows this edge to fits where he went in there obviously with an exit plan it just isn't a really really great one you know may would have had like oh it's a smoke bomb and i know to hold my breath for only you know 2 minutes it's 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 so wonderfully fit to the character here and when we're with Daisy and Coulson, we finally get to the character of Lincoln that uh, he has bowed out of the inhuman game. He did not want to be doing this anymore. What? Uh, Pete, something... Pete, he's on the poster. I'm so shocked. <laughs> he this is. is this, apparently... is, uh, this is Janet Lee in Psycho. Yeah, Daisy and uh, and Coulson must not have looked at the, po- the poster just yet. Um they talk about the uh, the DARPA, which, of course, we can uh, discuss here, refers to Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Um, D.C. office, where they've tracked this woman, they've got her routine down. So we have a rather uh, quick montage to wind up with Coulson on the D.C. Metro, where he tells uh, this mystery woman you're not an easy person to pin down. And she looks up and says, you weren't any trouble at all as our third act ends. Fantastic moment because we of course buy into the idea that, you know, Colson and his team, uh, you know, they found their little window at no point does it occur to them or us because it's presented so quickly and so effectively that this little window happens to be the perfect window. Um, it's it's that it's that little worm at the end of oh whatever whatever that is and you bite into it and of course it's a hook and just great great ending there they're surrounded what shall happen but as you said end of act our fourth act begins where we left off hunter points out quickly you know through math that they are outnumbered <laughs> and uh, the name rosalind comes out for the first time one of the names that this character went by at nasa which she explains, though, space exploration and the State Department no longer eat at separate tables. A nod to everything going on on or with our stories here. She also points out that she's talking to a corpse, that uh, Coulson's using KGB-style tactics to intimidate them, and uh, she's not spent any time in Tahiti, though she hears it's a magical place. So spilling his secrets and catching us up rather tidily, Matt, I would say, on two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And beyond that, the real brilliance of her character and the great casting of Constance Zimmer all comes together in this scene. Because we, of course, you know, we all love Clark Gregg. And Clark Gregg is the reason for this show and, and the 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 center around which everything else has been formed. 
and he is a character, you know, uh, Colson is a character and Clark Gregg is a guy, so pure, so heartfelt, so on and so forth. You would never uh, kind of, you never, th- you know, he he's dad and he's a great dad, you know, but here she's able to call him on, you know, uh, on some of his failings. She's also able to, I mean, there's just this great notion here that he's a corpse twice over. He had died and S.H.I.E.L.D. is publicly dead. Um, and here we see that she is his equal. Um, and as people were saying on Twitter and as, uh, you know, becomes obvious in the near future, they're not, you know, in opposition the way they thought they would be, but she's kind of, you know, she is the Colson of her group and it's great to give him an equal to, to, um, to battle with not, you know, an old friend or not a, not a enemy from afar type thing. Definitely. And they are to be detained, she reveals. But we go to Lincoln and uh, there's talk of a patient he needs to get to who is a talker. And uh, what do you know? Daisy and Mac are there and he wants to know if this is about the monolith. It's not uh, that they have a new inhuman. And whereas Daisy has come to see this as a gift, um, he has now changed his tune, Lincoln has. He was wrong. He admits he was regurgitating a lie. He had been fed, force-fed that entire time with uh, Zhang Yang and her inhumans that this is actually more akin to a curse. And I, I like to, I mean, and this is such a well-written episode, not just for a zippy action, but there, you know, there are these little lines that they work in. There's this notion uh, that Daisy says, which is, you know, he's uh, this is about accepting his heritage and he wants to leave his heritage behind. So just, you know, a little, you know, a little kind of uh, notion that could be applied, you know, to a bunch of different um, real life things, whether, you know, it's personal to you or, you know, you're to to whatever group you might identify. But um, just this idea that there's inhuman heritage and he's saying, no, I I want to leave that behind me. Crosscut with Colson and Roz, as he calls her there. There's discussion about uh, somebody. Uh, she, of course, assumes it's been Colson and Shield who is killing and blasting corpses, which he says is not them, that he thought it was her group. And uh, what a mystery this is, Pete. This is going to be the season long mystery. Maybe, (laughs) maybe at the end of this fall act, we will get a little clue as to who this is who's leaving a trail of burned bodies behind. That's my or maybe in this act, as (laughs) uh, Lincoln and Mac start to have some static, um, we know, of course, Lincoln has the electrical power. And uh, it flickers, but that's not him. There's a guard who confronts something or someone in a hallway we can't see because it's obscured by darkness, who says, tell me where to find the inhuman. And then uh, some kind of energy is uh, shot out of him into the man's chest and he kills him. The thing then reveals itself to be a worse version of Reyna and says... (laughs) To the camera, you're mine before the act ends. Giant blue man, as I said on Twitter, <laughs> let's not call him a beast because then that'll get 20th Century Fox upset. But, it, you know, it's a giant blue man with great makeup and so, so wig. Um, I like that they don't beat the audience over the head 
to connect the dots, um, which are guard just had his chest, you know, just had a hole burned into his chest. Oh, uh, Roz has been chasing this trail of burned bodies. Oh, we saw Roz with a body whose you know chest had been burned out. The implication at the top of the episode was they're doing it and we're back to experiments and this sort of thing. I like that they don't beat you over the head with any of this stuff. Um, it, it's just you know kind of this this backward trajectory with uh, Pete. I think the character that that though not named, we can rightfully call Lash. It is Lash, man. I, I was going to dance around how spoilery we wanted to be here, but that is indeed the character. We got to call him something. Yes. So as Act 5 begins, Lincoln fends Lash off. Uh, Mac admits to needing a bigger gun or his axe. Indeed, or or a, a gun-axe combination. Um, Ooh, I like the way you think. <laughs> Pete, could we possibly ever have an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Walking Dead crossover? Uh, I mean, one set further ahead <laughs> after our apocalypse. So unless we get into time travel, I'm going to say no. Uh, well, they could use that over on that show, the old axe gun. But anyway, back to this show. Colson and um, Constance Zimmer's uh, Rosalind character both get a call. Colson points out that it's got to be important if that's happening simultaneously. She moves into the other car on the Metro to take it. Hunter, of course, pops out a device. Colson uh, wants to take his call with uh, Rosalind's number two uh, lurking over him. And then there's a little sleight of hand. (laughs) Indeed, I guess they didn't get the memo that his hand can come off. I think we were all waiting for that, hence the the smug look on Colson's face, waiting for the uh, the right moment to escape and uh, escape. They indeed do, and um, I dare say they saved a couple of bucks to not have the Wonka Vader come in on camera. You get to see um, the little disc target thing, and then Constance Zimmer coming back in and going, "Whoa!" And then there's you know a hole in the subway. I'm glad that they Pete were. Uh, on uh, above ground tracks at that point and not deep beneath the city of Washington, D.C., which might be a, a bit more difficult for the Wonka Vader. Um, but assuming it can move through time and space, I don't know if that would be a problem. But um, it's it's a nice moment to just, you know, again, they don't need to beat us over the head to show the thing come down and they get in and, and they go up. It's just zim zam zoom and our uh, our goodies are free. I don't understand these Doctor Strange references. But what I do understand, Matt, is that Rosalind said that the hospital would have a response team headed there. We see Lash come through the wall with a portal-like effect. Lincoln and Sky both use their powers. Lash can resist it. Daisy ultimately has to rip a hole underneath it. So uh, the the conflict ends there. And um, Daisy tries to get Lincoln to come with them again. And uh, he says that his life is in ruins. Um, Hunter then heads back to the playground there. And he's uh, in the locker room. And we get the much demanded scene with Bobby. Indeed, indeed we do, and there it's revealed a bit of sleight of hand that 
perhaps they haven't been, at least that was my take, Pete, that they haven't been actually fighting. It's been kind of more of a, of a separate corners or to have the big discussion. Um, but that things, things weren't as bad as we, as we thought when first we met Hunter and, uh, you know, we're hearing the tales of his awful ex-wife. Well, the on again, off again relationship and marriage. And he points out here that you don't speak to the bride on the wedding day. And he has brought her back at her request, her wedding, wedding ring. It, um, it was an incredibly well-performed scene, um, particular, particularly by, uh, Adrian Palicki, I thought, and, and no, you know, no, um, disrespect meant to Nick Blood he was tasked in the scene with kind of playing the you know playing it a bit more straight and she was the one kind of you know a bit more um you know emotionally weaving and whatnot but I really I dug her performance I dug the look on her face where she's trying to explain to him that just because they are they are you know sharing a bed again and they're they're on again that, that that marriage simply is not a good idea and to him it's not obvious and it was just it felt like this incredibly human moment no pun intended um and just this incredibly kind of raw moment where the show the show wasn't overselling it but it was just two people who can't quite connect but can't quite disconnect well marriage and vengeance rarely go hand in hand and uh Hunter, as the character is wants to do, wants to hunt Hydra. But Bobby points out that they agreed to wait until she was 100%. But uh, that's not exactly going to go that way. Mac interrupts them, telling them only it's on. And then we are treated to um, William Sadler as President Matthew Ellis Last seen dangling above the Exxon Norco in Iron Man 3, a hostage of the presumed Mandarin, who uh, explains that the events of New York and Sokovia, everything that's gone on with S.H.I.E.L.D. He's and London, created, let's not forget London. London as well. He, uh, he created a special task force that has uh, his full license here. That the laws of nature, they said the episode title, Matt, have changed. And uh, it leads to a Q&A where uh, the president is asked, is this an alien contagion? And I thought particularly effective as Coulson is watching a, uh, a simulation of what would happen in terms of the, uh, the Terrigen uh, spread throughout the world that eventually it would take hold everywhere that this is a global threat, even though the president dismisses is it publicly as rumor. I mean, it all comes together here. Great that you could get William Sadler back for this. I hope frankly that they can bring him back um, in the future, if only for these, you know, kind of the presidential, um, press conference type stuff i mean it's got to be incredibly easy and quick to shoot you know the one end of a press conference um so i mean hopefully there's there's more of him this is also kind of the moment too where if you're not in the know and i'm sure all of us are but you know this this episode is the first act in 
you know, in the Inhumans movie story, if you will. I mean, obviously, this isn't the movie, but it, we're officially at the races here. We're not setting things up anymore. This is the Inhuman uh, story arc, and we're seeing it unfold um, with, with exclamation points at the uh, at the conclusion of this episode. It's also part of the Civil War because they will really kind of be lumped together four years out for them to differentiate so much is really difficult to do. Absolutely. Pete, speaking of civil war, is he in that? Is who in is, that? Is William Sadler in that? Um, looks like no. I was just curious. I was curious if he showed up uh, in it. Not to my knowledge just yet. But uh, Joey and Daisy uh, finally share a beer, as Joey referenced a number of times, his desire to go out and get a beer. Um, And we can deal with the dualistic dialogue of uh, him having to live with a secret before, of course, referencing his homosexuality and that he came out from that. But that Daisy explains this is a secret the world is not ready for to hear and it plays really nicely uh if there's been one criticism of most of the first two seasons of agents of shield it's that rarely do they swing for the metaphor offenses you know the 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 the, you know whatever the the bad guy power of the week exists as that and kind of nothing particularly beyond it here they're being a bit more nuanced and just kind of you know, I think hitting the back end of kind of the X-Men mutant thing, which, of course, they can't tread on, you know, too far. But insofar as there's kind of a meeting point between Inhumans and X-Men in terms of their their story purpose and, you know, the discrimination against the X-Men and the otherness and all of that. It's nice that they kind of just let that let that make its way into the story here. Fitz and Coulson catch up. Colson, as you referenced before, seemingly more comfortable with his bionic arm off and uh, trying to still figure out what happened to Simmons. Colson is saying to him that he needs to look at uh, what the possible answers might be, that uh, he had even investigated the Pym particle, referencing the Ant-Man film, of course, and that he still got no empirical evidence for what may have happened to Simmons. Uh, Fitz protests, this is a black hole, there's dark matter, that this scroll is going to tell us exactly where she is. He cracks it open, Matt, and what is it? It is the Hebrew word for death. And it's at that point that Coulson, you know, puts his arm around and he says, listen, you know, I'm going to make the trip to Sheffield, to England here, that Simmons family deserves to know. May took off on vacation. Not that Simmons family is going to find out that May took off on vacation, although they might too. Mr. and Mrs. Simmons, I have some bad news. (laughs) Melinda May went on a vacation in a bikini and never came back. This is from a grateful shield. Goodbye. Oh, your daughter may be trapped in a rock. Goodbye. And not the country, by the way. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big black, it's a big black monolith, like in 2001. Goodbye. Colson tells Fitz, though, that he's lost his right hand to referencing May to the physical left hand that he's lost. 
but uh, that he needs to say goodbye, that they need to say goodbye. Uh, it's what Gemma would want. So left alone, Fitz gets a gun. He clears caution tape. He shoots open the box. He opens the door and yells a number of times, do something, punching the monolith. And Matt, what happens? Nothing happens. I love that it's just a quick hard cut to black after he has uh, yelled at it a few times. I was certainly, you know, I had my my heart in my throat just in terms of the, a viable story option before they cut to black is it's going to swallow him up too. And, you know, and then the story continues, but they take the road of mystery and uh, end the act with uh, the mystery continuing. And we come back with the tag scene that features uh, a female running in a decidedly blue landscape. We quickly ascertain that it's Simmons she hides behind uh, an outcropping of rocks. Her right eye would seem to be wounded, smeared with blood. She digs in the soil. She then smears that on her face and looks up, and we see the stars, another planet, and what seems to be a moon in the background. By the way, Pete, quick update. Uh, that's no moon. It's a battle station. Well, I'm not so sure about that. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys, Matt. First up, alphabetically, chronologically, the ATCU, the Advanced Threat Containment Unit. I really enjoy the story conceit. They start out as the bad guys, our baddest bad guys ever. They're the anti-shield. They're the new Hydra. And by the end of the episode, they're actually the new shield operating under the guy, uh, under the, the auspices of the president. And, um, I, yeah, I like that kind of shield now has, uh, you know, some, some frenemies, but more friend than enemy to, you know, as they try and deal with this giant inhuman threat, which is, you know, obviously going to be uh, season long and seasons long. The militarization of them from the get go is uncomfortable enough in our current paradigms with the worries that we have. But to know that they're there to contain, I mean, heaven forbid something like this were to happen. People are suddenly manifesting strange powers, making objects, making metal melt there'd be some response demanded. So from a story perspective, they certainly make sense. Matt, how about Rosalind? Not a, having a last name just yet. Well, first of all, I'm glad to see that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, that particular hairstyle is so popular amongst uh, professional women. Uh, we, of course, last saw that wig on Evangeline Lilly in, <laughs> in Ant-Man. <laughs> But um, aside from that, I mean, you know, having seen a lot of Constance Zimmer on her run on House of Cards, I certainly had appreciate had an appreciation for what she brings as an actress and and uh, and um, what she's capable of. Um, I must admit, I'm not familiar with her uh, much beyond those two, but really great actress, great part, and I like that she is kind of. You know, where, where Coulson is kind of like a, you know, a casual Friday guy, um, I like that she's kind of the buttoned up professional, but still wearing, you know, a very expensive uh, 
dress and whatnot, but kind of this, you know, DC beltway professional woman in government, military, science, etc. Uh, absolutely a compelling character. And so she's, you know, hard as nails. Awesome. Bring it. I got a uh, Devil Wears Prada, Miranda Priestly, you know, stylish yet business-like vibe out of her. And I think that uh, Zimmer can bring that. So that's going to be fun to watch. It was fun just to see the little bit of banter that she and Clark Gregg were able to have together on the Metro. Lastly, Matt lash i uh, in my spoiler free existence was aware that there was going to be a character lash and i was aware that they had cast whoa 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 whoa. so wait a minute spoiler free and now you know about characters so what else do you know (laughs) spill okay well okay wait i i knew just from casting headlines that they had that such and such actor whose name i wasn't familiar with was going to be playing a character called lash says the guy who I apparently ruined The Dark Knight Rises for when I told him a casting announcement. Oh, that's Talia al Ghul. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, bo- bo- both can exist at the same time. Um, having seen some of the art uh, concerning the, you know, the comic book character, okay, cool, let's see how the show interprets that. The show interpreted that quite uh, uh, literally from the comic book and with the exception of some somewhat dodgy hair that I suspect in future episodes are going to light the actor a little bit differently or maybe do a wig adjustment or both uh, aside from that I mean awesome makeup really great character really compelling character uh, uh, powers rather and this is this is a great character sometimes you need these um you know, kind of the the uh, on the battlefield general. You know, there's kind of like the, the there's the the super general back. You know, whatever who's pulling the strings here. But you know, if this is your guy on the field, your commander on the field, doing all this carnage, great character, great presentation, fantastic makeup. It's very complex makeup. I would really like to get a better look of it. You know, when he's not moving and in light. But I have a, a feeling we're going to get there. Um, you know, I, I think back to uh, the the blind character last year and, you know, how familiar yet unsettling it was that he didn't have eyes um, and how you, you thought it was digital and it, it was real world effects. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what they bring as our pantheon of inhumans increases this season. Frankly, as a production, it's probably a good decision that you're going to debut this, this, you know, top to bottom makeup, um, in a situation where, where the audience isn't going to get a super close look. It's probably one of those things where after you shot three days with the actor, you sit and go, Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. Here's how it's starting to look on film. So production wise, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I mean, I doubt we would go back and go, Pete, let's have a, a, a wig continuity discussion on Lash. But it gives you kind of the shadows in which to, to make some adjustments to the character. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, first up, the monolith. 
Yeah, I mean, clearly this is going to be an ongoing uh, bit of story. Uh, the fact that they didn't suck fits in, you know, as I said earlier, it extends that mystery out. The fact that we've ended with, you know, Simmons somehow surviving adds the mystery. Um, she clearly is, uh, you know, on some other world, some other place. And, I mean, Pete, for the life of me, I can't figure out how they're going to get her back. I mean, I, I, I know that there are some of the interdimensional aspects maybe they're sitting on a you know a, a chris hemsworth uh, cameo or something but even then that would be all but literal deus ex machina um this is quite a story pickle that they have her trapped inside we know that it is Cree in origin we know that on the other side of the galaxy because of our involvement in the narrative from guardians of the galaxy there's a world called Morag that has uh, geysers. Uh, thought it might be that for a minute. It doesn't seem to be. I think they're they're certainly on that end of the universe, though. Uh, I'm not leaning towards the dimensionality type of thing unless it's a situation where through a dimension she wound up on this other side of the universe. I think it's going to be interesting to see how long time has passed for her has mm. this been three months for her as well um but it's i'm gonna bet no i'm gonna bet no just because that then when you sit and go well how about water how about food right. or whatever the survival aspect for certain right to uh, just go oh the time and the gravity and the bleep bloop bleep it solves all of that right so so did she spend that time traveling that it took her that long to get there and she was there for but a short time i mean listen they're going to retrieve her they're going to get her back just remains to be seen how but um pete i actually i actually have just gotten an email which explains it it's going to be revealed that she will live the life of a, of a flute playing person in a in a long dead civilization and then she'll see the rocket go up up and then they will say we sent this rocket out to tell you tell you of our life to tell you of our world and then she will just suddenly wake up back at shield wow. hq and she will have had this wonderful adventure uh, of the inner light i don't watch your doctor strange show with the british actors how many times do i have to tell you to stop making these strange references of all Pete, these treks that Pete, they go on this is a different one. In fact, before before Fantastic Geek was Fantastic Geek, we actually spoke with the guy that wrote that Star Trek episode. I know. But that. I digress. Um, I'll get out my Resic and flute now, okay? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, let's move on, Matt. Uncomfortable for me absence, Melinda May, the uh, you know resplendent uh, Ming-Na Wen, not in an episode of Agents of Shield. This has to be a first in 45 episodes. Yeah, and I hope it wasn't a case of, you know, oh, they checked in with the character, but then it had to be cut for time uh, to get it down to the 42 minutes. I hope, you know, I hope that wasn't the case because I can only imagine that's a little, uh, little difficult to swallow as an actor. But um, yeah, her absence notable. I mean, it's excused by the story. She was leaving, uh, if only for for a little while, you know, for for a hand, you know, months or whatever. Uh, when last we saw her, so uh, you know, I guess time will tell. I can only imagine she's going to be back next week, having not even seen the preview. 
I'm just going to guess she's back soon. I mean, we know from real world production stuff, her Instagram, it's for goodness sake, Pete, today, her Instagram or yesterday, it, it was showing, you know, massive bruises that she has on her, on her shoulder from, you know, various stunt stuff. So we know she's still out there kicking butt, uh, you know, Ming-Na Wen is. So <laughs> when, when Ming-Na Wen kicks butt, May isn't far behind. They've been very out in front in a lot of the promotional materials saying that May will struggle with her place in S.H.I.E.L.D. this season. And we know she took a vacation very against character and against type. Um, So how she's going to fit in and and come back, I, I think that's fraught with drama Matt also fraught with drama, no May, no Ward, which they've done before. And uh, Hydra seems to, at least for those of us, uh, Matt, you, who do not watch the previews, was absent. Yeah, I kind of always struggle with, you know, like, you know, imagining what life is like on the set. And they're all friends hanging out. And then you get the (laughs) script and it's like. Oh, okay, Brett. I guess you're not going to be coming to work for like the next eight days because they don't know what to do with Ward. Um, and I kind of wonder what that's like. You know, I mean, he's still collecting a paycheck per episode as a member of the cast and all of that. But I, there's that on the one end. And then on the flip side, I'll be the first one to criticize and sit and go, what, what's the deal with all these procedural shows where the characters never grow and change and there's never any, any anything? Um, so I understand you need to bring in you know, new blood and you need to mix things around story wise. Um, that said, I kind of feel like a season premiere is an opportunity to get, get the whole family around the table. It's, you know, it's TV Thanksgiving and we should check in with all these people, even if it's, you know, in, in a montage or in, in, I don't know, multiple scenes at the end. I mean, I know at a certain point you run out of scenes at the end, if you want to do scenes in the beginning and scenes in the middle, but, um, I guess the flip side is we're looking forward to Ward's return. We're looking forward to May's return. And uh, we're looking forward to a mere 21 more episodes this season and followed by 22 after that. Transmissions. Let's check the wire, Matt. Pete, checking the old Twitter sphere here, uh, we have a couple of thoughts here from Mark Amargo. First, he starts with a prediction. Uh, the statement, uh, quote, just call us sword will be uttered this season, perhaps uh, the possibility of the ACTU getting a name that's a little little bit less difficult to say. Um, And then he asks us a question, so does the ship Skyward get rebranded to Grant Daisy? Um, I'm going to say maybe and no. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Pete, just want to share one more tweet from uh, Crescent Moon Cottage on Twitter, who says, uh, of this particular podcast episode that we are recording, she says, hurry up, I've missed you guys, heart, (laughs) and uh, I know that put a smile on both our faces. Absolutely, and, you know, this is a two-way street that uh, we participate in, and we just want to say that uh, to Crescent Moon Cottage, to uh, Donna, uh, we're thinking of you, and uh, keep fighting a good fight. Next up, Matt, of course, um, you can help us out by uh, leaving us a review on iTunes. You also help others find us when you are kind enough to do that. 
go to uh, Fantastic Geek on iTunes, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, or any of the family of podcasts are uh, Agent Carter, Daredevil, now Jessica Jones, Matt, it's never ending. And uh, we need help getting the word out. We need to know and we need the feedback from our wonderful listeners. And indeed, Pete, you have devised a, uh, a, a new way that we can help get the word out. And actually, at this moment, Pete, I am tweeting a, 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 a hidden picture, the, the, the mystery thing still in the bag. That'll yes. be a little little carrot on the end of the stick. So, Pete, as I send that out and as, uh, as, as the seed gets planted here, how can somebody participate in this, uh, you know, to try and get this awesome thing? Well, you may want to listen up. Um, anybody for the next several weeks who tags a non-following Twitter follower or a non-liking, I can't believe I just said that, uh, Facebook friend who does not already uh, like the Fantastic Geek Facebook page or like or uh, follow, I should say, Fantastic Geek on Twitter. Every instance where that happens, we're going to enter your name into the raffle for said object, and you may want to be in on that. We could call it right now, Pete, the mini monolith. It is kind of taller than it is wider, and uh, we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that for now. No one's been sucked into it yet. Indeed. Now, Pete. The best monolith, though, to get sucked into is not the one where you're chased by an unseen monster on a blue planet and you plug up your head blood with, you know, alien sand. It is, of course, talking to the old Pete on the Twitter. And how can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,377 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am, as always, personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's what, that's uh, Fantastic with a PH. Uh, you can find us on the Twitter, the Gmail, and the .com. By the way, the .com includes links to all our various podcasts, all the Marvel stuff, the Marvel movies, first season of Star Wars Rebels, other goodies in there. And uh, there is, of course, more, though, Pete. Yes, facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, all one word with the PH as referenced before. But you can tag your non liking friends to this point and be entered in our giveaway. Well, with that, Pete, we will be back next Tuesday for the next exciting adventures on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the first season three final word. To the plane. <laughs>